You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Okay, guys, we have a very special treat for you this week. We've been working through the Soil Health Series. We took a slight pause um, due to scheduling and trying to line out guests because Matt and I feel very strongly that with certain topics, we should um, go with the people who are doing this on a on a daily basis. This is their job. Uh, for example, when it comes to land management, habitat management, Matt and I do that day in, day out. That's our full-time job. So we feel very confident in giving you information on our experiences um, that we've had and research that we've followed and trust. When it comes to soil health, we feel it's very important that we talk to the professionals, the people who have been doing this, the agronomists, crop consultants, uh, professors, whoever it may be, the people that are focusing um, their day job on soils, improving soil health, helping others improve soil health. Um, and so as we've worked through this series, you've heard us talk with crop consultants and agronomists, but we feel this is kind of a guy that um, the whole topic of soil health in food plotting, this is, this, our next guest is one of the people who's probably led to that um, questioning, led to that um, hungriness for, uh, for more knowledge. And so we're going to speak with Ray Archuleta. Ray is from these well, long career in the NRCS. Then he's now with the Soil Health Academy, um, and he works as a consultant and 
part owner of these of this company that helps people improve soil health. If you've a simple YouTube search where you are looking for uh, improving soil health in some ways, you're probably going to find Ray. He's all over YouTube and all over the internet. Um, one of the places you will find him also is um, Kiss the Ground on Netflix. A lot of great stuff out there. Ray is a very passionate guy, uh, full of knowledge, and this hour-long discussion isn't even a drop in the bucket for the three hours that I was there talking with him. I almost wish I would have recorded the whole thing, but um, more about just understanding each other and our beliefs and our faith and how that all ties together with soil health and land management. Um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. I know we're going to get flooded with comments and questions afterwards. We may try to have Ray on later if scheduling allows. Um, but there's a few key points in this. And guys, um, when it comes to soil health movement in the food plot realm, because that's where most guys are concerned with it the most, um, I'm hoping that Ray can shine some light on the fact that um, there's a couple takeaways here. But diversity wins. Deep roots are just our deep roots are roots are more important than biomass. Um, now biomass is important when building organic matter, but roots are more important. So take it for what you want. Join us next week as Matt and I break all of this this whole series down, compacted in a one hour, putting all our thoughts together to hopefully relay that to you guys. Um, and then and then just the idea of managing small acreage versus managing the whole farm and uh, and how you can improve soil health outside of the food plots and across the entire farm. Um, shouldn't come to any shock to you guys, but Ray said it. I didn't even have to put the words in his mouth. He, uh, he said it right out of the gate. So I think you guys will really, really like this podcast. And, uh, man, uh, let's just jump right in. All right. We're going to sit here. We're sitting out here, uh, fortunate enough to set with Ray Archuleta. Now, I think anybody who's, this series has been really popular for us. We've had a lot of engagement, a lot of questions. And so I think that anybody who's shown interest in soil health has found you on YouTube and has watched, and I think you're, uh, you've done so much. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome, Adam. Thank you for having me. I, uh, it's always nice to be uh, talking to an audience that loves the land. So, yeah, I'm excited. Thank That's you. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, walk me through, give me a little bit of history. Um, I know you spent years with NRCS. So, mm -hmm. at what point did you, you graduated agronomy, studied agronomy? No. What's Stud the history? Yeah, well, I, I started, <laughs> the real started history started when I was 15 years old. I was working on my uncle's ranch in the northern part of New Mexico, and I just loved ranching I just yeah. love being outside and I told my dad I'm going to go get me a degree in agriculture and I grew up in the town in fact ma many of your listeners may know who Gabe Brown is a good friend of mine he grew up in town and some of the best ranchers that I have seen actually grew up in town and then grew up on the ranch and to pick <laughs> up a lot of the habits and it, it was interesting um so my career so I went and um got my associates did a couple of years of livestock science and, and the Peace Corps came back, and then I went to agronomy, ag biology, entomology, and went to graduate school for soils. When I graduated, 
the first place they put me at him was um, in the boot heel of Missouri. Yeah. And that was a culture shock because here I went from a Rocky Mountains dry uh, type of landscape to a humid type of landscape. So that's when I first came engaged with Missouri. And then um, my wife's from Missouri, so that there was a connection there. And then we put five years in Missouri, five years in Oregon, and lived on the Idaho side and 10 years in North Carolina and then wrapped my career. So I got to experience all kinds of agriculture, lived in four states. And so I started as an irrigation in irrigation, designing irrigation systems, livestock pipeline systems. So I've had kind of a diverse agriculture experience. So that's awesome. So yeah. 20 years with 32, 32 years with 32, NRCS. Yeah, I was retired in 2017. So now what do you do? What I do now is we we started about, oh, I would say in 2017, we started um, Soil Health Academy. And Gabe Brown, um, Shane New, and and uh, Ellen Williams, Dr. Ellen Williams, we started, and oh, and David Brandt, we, and David Brandt, we were the, uh, the forefathers of this Soil Health Academy because we wanted to create an academy that we could teach more ecologically based agriculture and because we were not very happy about what was coming out of the universities um i came to observe that a majority of us were taught uh, agriculture on the wrong premise and the premise was we got to control nature force her to yield 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 use the tools of chemistry of pesticides, insecticides, herbicides, tillage. But it wasn't the real design. Of, the real premise should have been how to mimic the natural system, how to mimic the creation, how to mimic nature. That should have been the way agriculture should have been taught. And then I started realizing, I started picking up every book on ecology, soil ecology and agroecology. So... It started that way, that we started, that's how Soil Health Academy started. And then we started Understanding Ag, which is a consulting arm, so that we can help farmers. Um, we also needed a, a kind of a venue on how to help farmers get off chemicals and tillage and save them thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars, even millions of dollars. So Soil Health Academy is kind of the the training ground, the academic part. The understanding egg part is the other arm where we have consultants go on the ranch and farm and help producers get off these chemicals. Because to get off these chemicals, you have to learn how to be a way better manager. And you don't have to learn how to read the natural system, how to be in sync with it. So, And that's what we do now. And so uh, we go around the, the country and around the world how to teach, how to mimic nature. That's what we do. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think each and every week my co-host Matt Dye and I, we talk about replicating nature, looking at nature as the natural, as the <coughs> template, and yes. how do we recreate that? And a lot of our work is, you know, recreational ground. It's not crop ground. It's not cattle pastures. It's really uh, wooded ground or glades or prairies, even open landscapes where, uh, and even a lot of our uh, recommendations include cattle, if, if it, especially if a goal is bobwhite quail and trying yeah. to utilize some of the research done mm -hmm. that, that shows that, wouldn't you know it, I mean, you probably have those... <laughs> 
moments where you're like, oh, well, go figure that um, we realize that certain species do much better even with cows. It's like, oh, well, they're part of the, you know, bison was a native um uh, it was a native animal here, and we're just using a cattle to replicate the bison. And aha, oh, go figure. The bobwhite quail do better with grazing. Well, yeah, and it makes sense. And and I think let's make it very clear to the audience: when we say mimic the natural system, it's architecture, it's design, it's diversity. It's every organism serves purpose, and without the functionality of every organism, from the microbes. Because 25% of all biodiversity is in the soil. That's how diverse it is. One tablespoon of soil, 7 billion organisms. Mm. It is the most diverse ecosystem on the planet and the least known. So when you and I talk about uh, mimic nature, we're talking about its architecture, the designs of the plants and how if you walk in a prairie, you can have hundreds and hundreds of species of plants, forbs, grasses, legumes, uh, shrubs, all of these. We're talking architecture, the design, the way it, it, for that habitat for the insects. And, and it, of course, uh, these animals, and people don't understand that you cannot have grass or these diverse biological systems without a ruminant chewing, causing stimulation for the plants, and then as they defecate, you have this incredibly rich, um, biodiverse manure, rich in protozoa and all these organisms, bringing nutrients to the microbes and and also them together in synchrony, create this incredible nutrient cycling. You cannot have one without the other. Plant and animal are designed to be together. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! You know how hard it is to get that just basic concept, Adam. And yeah. People think that the cows are the plague of the planet, and they're not. Yeah. Well, I think even if you unpack that even more, plants and animals go together, but then also insects play a part in those plants oh. and and helping mm. create those and cross pollinating. And I think uh, let me ask you this in simple terms: if you could say one word to describe healthy soil. Could you come up with a word? Or yeah. yeah. What's that word? Life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If, if I was to use one word. Yeah. Life, Adam. You yeah. gave me one word. Oh, here's the misgivings people don't understand. We treat soil like dirt. Yeah. We treat it like this, a growing medium. Mm-hmm. We treat it like a little chemistry set. You just throw chemicals at it, and then it's supposed to be this magic. Yeah. It is these myriad of organisms, protozoa, nematodes, bacteria, fungi. It's this underground world that is so complex. Life, if you tell me, it's just as alive as you and, and both of us. We're both alive. We both eat. We both want habitat. We both want to re- reproduce. Mm-hmm. So are the same way. It breathes. It changes every day. And most people, most farmers, most people in agriculture do not understand that it's alive. So if you give me one word, there it is. Life. Life. I, I make the comment a lot where, um, to me, in habitat, when we're working with animals, I say um, diverse is a word I use a lot. There's so many different insects. There's different 
plants, there's different animals, and they're all working together creating life. Yeah. And I say sometimes that we've gotten so used to seeing poor habitat or low quality landscapes that we wouldn't even know what it looked like if it grew up around us. Right. How often do you see driving down the road, if you could, I know it's hard to say good and bad, but do you find yourself seeing more things getting you excited in soils or in agriculture in general saying these people are doing it right? Or do you feel more like, oh, we've got a long road to hoe? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Adam. Look, if you would have asked me in 2001, 2002, when I first came through my epiphany, mm-hmm. I was very depressed about agriculture. Yeah, I didn't see any hope. And let me explain that. Our agency used to be called the Soil Conservation Service. It used to be called, soil, first name was Soil Erosion Service, became the Soil Conservation Service. And now it's called Natural Resource Conservation Service. That agency was created because of the massive loss of soils. The Dust Bowl was created in 1935. From 1935, and I started the agency in 80, 87. And I started saying, okay, here I am in 2001, and we were not seeing the water get clean, and farmers were still going broke. Here's what I'm saying. I was pretty depressed. I had no hope for agriculture. I saw farmers going broke. The water was not getting clean. We were spending billions. Thousands of employees later, we're still in the same place. I said, yeah. what's, what's going on? And so, but until recently, in 2007, until my point of view, I got to meet Gabe Brown in, at his ranch, and I started seeing how he was farming regeneratively. And I read the book, Ellen Savory's book called holistic management probably one of the better books i ever read because it made me realize that nature works in holes and that i realized that i spent eight years in college college learning reductionist science i i would reduce science into tiny little bits but didn't realize that everything was intimately connected it was that book and coming to gabe's ranch in 2007 i said oh my gosh i missed it i didn't see the whole picture now I have hope, Adam. We have a lot of hope for agriculture because now I'm seeing thousands and thousands and millions of, close to millions of acres, several millions of acres being covered with cover crops. That gives me hope. And now we're seeing more habitat. Imagine, Adam, driving through this country and seeing the land. You and I were talking about it a while back. Can you imagine going from California to North Carolina and it's green a majority of the year? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Can you imagine what it would do for deer? Oh. And for bird habitat? Erosion. Erosion. Insects. Insects. It would it would it would actually stabilize the climate. It would change the climate. People don't understand you cannot have climate without the plant and soil. And I tell them it's when the plant evapotranspires, it creates the humidity. And brings the clouds. 40% of our rain comes from inland. 60% comes from the ocean. So if you if you think about New Mexico, Arizona, all those were prairies. They were covered. They were all vegetated. Oklahoma, Colorado, Nevada, all California were once beautiful prairies. Now they're deserts. 
and reflecting sensible heat. And so it's changing the climate. And it's not just that. Mexico, all parts of Mexico was prairie. Buffalo used to travel all that whole corridor. Now it's bare. It's our deserts of the Southwest. Yeah. And yeah. so they were prairies of the Southwest. Yeah. They weren't deserts. Mm. But see, uh, the land's become that degraded. Yeah. But I didn't realize that until the last five or ten years. Yeah. You know, what's interesting talking to you is a lot of times, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. Yeah. A lot of times I see guys at the near retirement or post-retirement being very depressed, very upset, kind of over their career yeah. as far as they preach their message, they preach their research, and then when they retired and frankly, they said people aren't going to get it. And they kind of ride off into the sunset. You're the opposite of that. It almost seems that now you're more passionate about your work and about the message than you were what sounds like 10 years ago. Yeah. And the reason for that, one, gives me hope. Two, I can speak more freely. (laughs) You know, when you're a government employee, um, I think a lot of people don't understand and the lobbyists control a lot of the agencies. Yeah. And it's corporate America, the fertilizer, the chemicals, the tillage, the herbicide companies, the fertilizer companies, the seed companies. Everybody's got their own vested interest. But rarely do they have the interest of the rancher, the farmer, or the land. And so if you speak out and say, oh, yeah, I have farmers that no longer use fertilizer. Or they've eliminated 90% of the herbicides. No more insecticides. No more fungicides. Well, what do you think the toolmakers are going to say? Yeah. See, a lot of people don't understand when you drive through the through the most of the country, uh, Adam, you're seeing a desiccation of rural America. The wealth and the blessings of the land flow from the soil to the rancher, from the farmer, to the local community, to the local gas station, to the local uh, to the local store. The wealth flowed. That way, now it goes to corporate America, goes to John Deere, goes to the Monsantos, it goes to Bayer. Am I opposed to the toolmakers? No, that's not what I'm getting at. We need some of those tools. What I'm opposed to is enslavement of the farmer and going broke and not making any money. Mm-hmm. That's why farming has the largest suicide rate. Of the, uh, one of the top professions has the largest suicide rate in this country, mm. he, I I call farmers. You're the poorest millionaires I know. <laughs> you're worth millions, but your infrastructure is an equipment, and it's in in uh, land. Yeah, you're worth millions, but no cash flow. Yeah, but think about the typical p- a person that goes to work. The company provides their own laptop, provides everything. All you do is show up to work. Yeah. And you, you, we both ranch. You got to buy equipment. You could buy fencing. You got to buy watering systems. You got to maintain tractor equipment. Huge infrastructure just to make a living. Mm-hmm. The poorest millionaires I know. That's where we're at. And this is what, where agriculture is right now, Adam. So what's the future? Um, you know, if that's, that's where we're at right now, how do we fix it? How do we get out of that? Well, here's the beauty. Do you know that millennials, 70% are reading labels? No kidding. Yeah. 70% of millennials read the labels. 
the ones that are picking up the ecological regenerative agriculture are the ladies. They go buy the food for the, for, for the family. And people, I think the new mantra in the future is going to be this, Adam. Let thy food be thy medicine. Mm-hmm. It's healthy soil, healthy plant, healthy animal, healthy food, healthy climate, healthy water. These are intimately connected. The reason we're such, we, this, this last couple of years, we have lost several years of life expectancy in the United States. It's dropped several years. Mm. Processed food and, and the poor soils, are, our food is 50% less nutrient-dense than it was in the 40s. It's funny you say that. My wife, who hardly ever has any input in this podcast, she hardly ever cares about the topic. She's just like, that's his deal. She cares about education and childhood development, things like that. But she said, ooh, make sure that you ask him if it's true that our food is less nutrient-rich today than it was, I think, 80 years ago. And what is your wife's name? Nikki. Nikki, yeah. you're right. Gotcha. It's, it's 40 to 50% less. It was like, I think the stat we saw was like broccoli was broccoli and a lot of our vegetables that we buy at the store. Fruits, just... vegetables, pretty much everything. Our grains, our wheat, our meat is also uh, has a problem. When you start feeding too much animals in feedlots for long periods of time, you change that omega-6, omega-3 complexes. We've altered the meats, and and now you're seeing this movement of people going to plant-based uh, mm-hmm. food, Impossible Burgers and that, which are actually more, uh, got more herbicide in them, mm. less more destructive to the to the landscape and to the land, more fertilizers needed, more chemicals, and one of the most energy-intensive things we do is make chemical nitrogen. It takes copious amounts of natural gas to make nitrogen from wow. the atmosphere and the reason you have to make nitrogen because the soils are so destroyed and so diminished they don't cycle on their own mm. so uh, people that think that they're doing more health to the to the to the, uh, to the planet by eating plant-based food that's not true wow and so that's not regenerative at all and just to make it quick for the whole audience to understand what what is regenerative agriculture that was my next question no a lot of people have a lot of definitions, but my definition of regenerative agriculture is this. Word regenerate is to renew, renewal. Regenerate is, starts with the renewal of the heart and mind. That my renewal started is now my, my whole goal is to emulate nature. Regenerative agriculture is the renewal of heart and mind that you have relationship with the natural system, that you emulate it, that you mimic it, and that you respect and honor every part of the creation and you try to emulate it. So that by the t- and the way we mimic it is, and the way the more you mimic it and the more you follow its patterns and its strategies, the healthier the food will be. That's why we teach the five principles, six principles of soil health. We got that from the natural system. <laughs> And one of the principles, nature always has a living root 24-7, always. Has diversity, diversity, diversity of animals, insects, plants. They're always in the system. Animals 
are part of the integrating livestock into the system. Cover it, protect it. Those are, and then another one of the principles we talk about all the time is context. Understand the ecological context. You, if you live in eastern Colorado, you should mimic the context of the eastern Colorado. If yeah. you grew up in the prairie there, you should have more animals. You should be try to limit or not plant corn there. Corn <laughs> doesn't grow in eastern Colorado. It's only 15 or 16 inches. Yeah. You know, so context, living root, diversity, all these principles. Limit we, disturbance. Limit disturbance. Thank you. That's my one of the questions we'll cover in this podcast. Limit chemical, physical, and biological disturbance. And what does that mean? Reduce the tillage. Nature yeah. doesn't till. It uses roots and insects and earthworms. Yeah. So just tillage is very destructive. Careful with the pesticides. Careful with the seed treatments, fungicides, insecticides. Most people don't understand. Do you know that 70 to 80% of the insects continue their life? 70% of the insects continue their life cycle on the top two or three inches of the soil. Where do you think your bird habitat gets their insects from? Yeah. If there's no habitat, no living plant, and you're always tilling the soil, you've disrupted the insect population. Fungicides, careful with them. Mm-hmm. Careful with the seed treatments. Yeah. One grain can kill thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of bees. Mm. Careful with the tools. Biological disturbance is overgrazing. Yep. I've seen water runoff on overgrazed pastures more than tilled soils. Chemical, physical, biological disturbance. Best way to understand this, Adam. Learn about chronic and acute stress. Let me give you an example. If you keep eating processed food all the time eat fast food because you and i travel a lot it's pretty hard on the body isn't it oh terrible it's terrible it's almost like a detox has to happen when you get home yes you know what's killing you and i we travel so much eating out yeah and the food is wretched yeah okay that's chronic stress now if you take your food as much as you can then you (laughs) occasionally have a fast food burger yeah that's an acute stress. The body can handle that. Yeah. It can handle chronic stress. Chronic tillage, chronic spraying, always spraying. Some of the most destroyed farms are organic farms. Because of tillage. Always tilling. Yeah. They don't till just once, three or four, five, six times a year. Yeah. Chronic stress. What I tell people is careful how you manage your disturbances. An occasional herbicide, the planet can handle it. Occasional tillage, it can handle it. Do I dislike both of them? Absolutely. Do you have one that you dislike more? I probably hate tillage more than the the chemicals. Yeah. But I also hate the chemicals. (laughs) So I I can say you have to be very careful with both. Yeah. Let me give you a good example so people can have. Because I think people get really phobic about this. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Say you have a farm that's got a lot of slope. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to terminate a grass. And you want, and so you decided to use tillage because you hate chemicals. You hate them so bad, you're a chemical phobe. You till, you plow it up, you disc it, the ground's bare. You All of a sudden, you get a rain event. 
you've just lost not only carbon, you've destroyed aggregation, water's going to run off, you lost years and years of soil fertility in one event. Mm. Now if you go use nasty Roundup, spray it, you leave the residue on top, you no-till into it, it rains, you didn't lose any soil. Yep. So which was worse? Definitely the tillage. Definitely the tillage. It depends on the context. Yep. What makes Roundup become so brutal and people hate it, and rightly so, is they spray it all the time. Now it's in our body. Mm -hmm. Now we know it's linked to cancer and all those other things. It's misuse of the tools. So, you know, it's not the tools. Yeah. It's us. Just like cattle. I think a lot of times people look at cattle as being, oh, it's ter- they're terrible for the landscape. It's like they were misused. They're, an, they're, they're a must-needed tool used appropriately. Exactly, Adam. I tell people the most powerful thing you can do on the land, if you want to get it right, go look in the mirror and realize you're the problem. <laughs> Our ignorance is the problem. Yeah. We are very disconnected from the land. People say, well, there's, it's global warming, global warming. No, global ignorance and global disconnectness from the land. We are poorly read. We don't understand. And I'm including myself. Yeah. We're the most destructive force. We don't know what we're doing out there. And until I started reading a bunch of books on ecology and started realizing the soil, how they function, and have a basic understanding then, because I was a very destructive force, I was giving really, really bad advice as an agronomist. Over-application of fertilizer, more tillage, they were all bad advice. But this is what I learned in college. This is what our schools were teaching. So the problem is us. That's the problem. Yeah. With all your work, do you do more work with cattle farming or crop farming? Probably both, but do you tend to go one way or the other i get a lot of requests more from the crop people really okay and but we also get it from the grazing and so what we're trying to do is start to inculcate more grazing into the cropping systems (laughs) one of the most one of the worst things we ever did in modern agriculture is separate the grazing system from the cropping system yeah nature doesn't separate the animals yeah animals are part of of the ecosystem. Some of the best regenerative farmers have animals in the system. So they're making money from the animals. They're making money from the grain. They're making it from the corn. They're making it from the soybean. They're making it from the animals. So if they have a massive drought, they have the animals to control the weeds. They can actually eat the corn. They can eat the soybean. They're still making money. Organic regenerative beef. They're making money both ways because they're resilient. Yeah. So what we're teaching is economic and ecological resilience. And you cannot do it without the famous word you used, diversity. That's right. So paint me a picture of, I think a lot of people, I'll try to paint the picture that most people see uh, from a cattle, typical cattle farm. Let's just say here in the Midwest. You've got, I think a, a mutual friend of ours, he told me this. I don't know if he stole it from somebody, but it stuck with me. But he says, most of the cattle farms around here are, understocked and overgrazed. Yes. There's a small herd that has lots of acres that they wander and they cherry pick their diet, uh-huh. but they overgraze. Yep. And I think that's what a lot of people see is grass is always, it seems like grass is always limited on the farms yep. and it's a monoculture of one type of grass. Um, there's not a lot of diversity within it, but they're contained and the farmer can make a few bucks on selling calves every year. Yep. 
And in the crop world, I think a lot of people picture a monoculture of corn or soybeans. Yep. They picture four, five months, six months of tilled under, nothing growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they see money when they see corn stalks. Right. Now, paint me a picture of what a regenerative cattle farm or, or a typical farm here in the Ozarks or the Midwest that's a cattle farm that's trying to incorporate regenerative ag. Well, we both, and I'm not embarrassed to mention his name, Steve, Wood, uh, Steve Freeman is a great example. Greg Judy, some of these, uh, Doug Peterson. There's a lot of good regenerative grazers here. Their ranch looks like nature. <laughs> in fact if one of the best ways to tell if you're going down the right path adam is one of the things you start to observe through your eyes beauty yeah a ranch that is well managed actually looks like a prairie yeah you see yeah in those that we call weeds they're not weeds you'll yeah. see an architecture of different plants yeah. I'm not talking about monoculture looks like a lawn of yeah. fescue. That is not nature. Yeah. That nature has every plant, broadleaves, folk, all kinds of you'll have twenty or thirty, forty species within the paddock. Yeah. And you'll hear the beauty. Yeah. You'll hear the you'll see the butterflies. You'll see the bees. Hear the birds. Hear the birds. Oh great. And then you'll see you'll hear the insects. So what's going on? The, the reality is your fence could be your best enemy or your it could be your best friend or your worst enemy. Yeah. And you've hit it. What happens to a majority is they let the cows do whatever they want. And and so what happens under stock over graze is they keep hitting they they graze they graze the same plant over and over and over. Let's be brutally honest. We do the same thing. And you and I, you and I went to a, uh, if you and I went to a, a, a place to go, uh, uh, what do you call it, a um, a buffet. Oh, yeah. I bet you, you and I would aggregate to whatever we desire for the first thing. Absolutely. Ab- you and I would do a beeline to the, to the fried chicken or to the beef or whatever we want to go first That's or right. to the dessert place. And really, we'd, and maybe we kind of wander and go for the... For the vegetables. After a while, I might shift over. Exactly. (laughs) Cows doing the same thing. Animals doing the same thing. Yeah. They do the same thing. And here's the problem with that. If you're not using the hot wire, the new, we're trying to emulate the buffalo. And so what we do is we use that high wire, the hot wire, the poly wire. Yeah. And we'll split up the paddocks. So I want to group these animals so they urinate and defecate and feed the soil microbes but then reduce the selectivity so I can move them to the next paddock and give long recoveries. The buffalo came in, grazed hard, moved, came a year later, long recoveries. Let the plant recover, and then that urine, the defecation, the saliva, the hair, the life of that animal stimulated and massaged those plants and fed the microbes. But if you leave that animal there all the time, they graze it hard and you took more than 50%. Now you hurt the root mass. Now the roots shrink. You don't feed microbes. Now water runs off. You created a drought. 
Now the plant keeps the animal eats the same plant. It starts to pick up parasites, and then you create this cascading effect downward. And then the animal doesn't pick up the diverse molecules from different plants. What do you call? Uh, what do you call? When you have diverse plants, you pick up the um, these beautiful tannic molecules. You f- pick up all these different molecules from different plants. Yeah, that some are deep for, <clears throat> for helping the animal deparasitize, and secondary tertiary molecules because of diverse plants. You didn't. Know, you don't have that now. Mm. So you screwed everything up. Yeah, just because you let the animals do whatever they want. Yeah. So you need diverse plants, you need diverse insects, you need to group the animals tight. That's why we, we move the polywire. That's why I, gr- I, I group my sheep up tight. And I think for some of our listeners, because typically we, we've kind of shifted out of hunting and recreational land. We're kind of a, I, this might as well be an agriculture podcast this yeah. week. But uh, historically, those animals, those native, the bison herds, or buffalo herds, um, had wolves. And they had predators keeping them bunched up and yes. moving them. Yes. And now we don't have that in a lot of places, so we have to recreate that with fencing. Yes. Yeah. And and tell you some of the best hunting is you can find is in regenerative farms and ranches. Because the deer want to be there. Yeah. The animals want to be there because now they have insects, they have habitat. Yeah. So, you know when you know you're there, you can't tell the difference between the the natural system in your ranch. They're both beautiful. Yeah. They both have noise. Yeah. They have they have this music of insects and all these. Now these animals are picking up all these molecules because they have diverse of plants. That's right. So yeah. you got diversity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can't separate regenerative agriculture from the wildlife. Yeah. Once you're doing it right, it'll reward you. Yeah. You have big deer now. You have You have all kinds of bird population you got everything's changed mm-hmm. and it all started because you looked in the mirror <laughs> yeah yeah you're the problem i think too uh i know i've certainly been guilty of this and i see it a lot um is we get stuck in not wanting to make change yeah. and we don't want to do something that people would think we're crazy to do right and i think with regenerative ag and this new not new but the system that you guys utilize the neighbors will call me crazy so therefore i'm not going to do it right Right. and so you hit on man i and i know our listeners each and every week they know how much adhd i have so you're sending so much at me it's like drinking from a fire hose that i've got so many questions pew 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 going through my mind but there's one thing we mentioned that i want to touch on and that's root systems about the recovery time from from uh from grazing and there's a thing that floats around social media a lot and so i want to hear your take on it and i and i'm pretty sure i know it but it talks about pasture and basically if you have a, a plant that's growing, let's just say it's some sort of perennial grass and if cows use 50% of it, yep. they consume 50% and leave the other 50%. The roots do not stop growing uh, at that point. That's right. Now, if 70% of that plant is consumed, then the plants, 50% of the roots stop growing for seven about 17 days. Yes. And then... What we see a lot is 90% of the plant being consumed, and that says that 100% of the roots stop growing for 17 days. Yep. 
So that's where uh, I want to shift and go right into soil health. Yeah. And I am a, you know, I, I, I've grown up on a, on a cattle farm. Overgrazing is just a part of life. Yep. Um, our plants are just overgrazed and that's just, that's just the way things are. And I think a lot of people deal with that. So I am wanting to improve my soil health and I know that organic matter is important. What is your opinion on building organic matter? Well, let's go, let's start off with that. Okay. Back to that root where you were talking about. Yeah. One of the things we don't talk about Okay, yes, you hurt the root. So why is the root so critical when you, you hurt the plant? Well, the, the, why does plants have roots? Mm-hmm. Anyway, first to anchor, but they also use as a mechanism for looking for nutrients. Mm-hmm. But you cannot get nutrients if you don't have an association with fungi and bacteria. So they make this relationship with all these organisms because it's the bacteria and the fungi that bring the zinc the phosphorus, and the minerals out of the rock. That's the biology. So if you take too much, like you just talked that beautiful scenario you talked about, now you slow down nutrient cycling. Now you're not feeding more microbes that, that bring the zinc and the minerals out of the rock. So not only did you hurt the plant, you stopped. Because remember, that plant captures light energy, converts it into chemical energy, and thousands of compounds of that I call liquid sun feeding those microbes. Now you shut that down. Now you shut the fungi down. You f- the, all these organisms. But guess what else you did? You increased the soil temperature. Mm. Those plants create this beautiful habitat, keep the soil cool. Yeah, It's about this synchronous relationship between the microbe flora, the microorganisms and the plants hindered that because you overgrazed you messed the whole system up you just in overgrazing exactly and then guess what else you did now because you did tend to um you took too much now remember uh, about 50 to 60 percent no about 50 to 70 percent of all organic matter is built through the root system not that 50 to 60 percent is that yeah So organic matter relies more on roots yes. than it does biomass. Yes. I see that so often where guys are like, they, they plant like sedan grass, something really, really tall, yeah. an annual species. Yeah. And they're like, we're building organic matter. And from what, I was, what I've learned is like, oh, it starts in the roots. So let me ask you this. If, if the roots are slightly more important, wouldn't it be wise to have root systems or plants that have larger roots? Oh yes, Adam. perennial type grasses. And you know or how, and, you, and, and you know how you can bring that diversity in. Proper grazing, yeah, giving the plants the right recovery. Come and plant perennials. All that the root is everything. Without the root, there is no life on the planet. Yeah, period. And do you know that's that's why. In the Dr. David Johnson's work, did some b- brilliant research on the greenhouse, and they started with chili peppers. And he found out in the early stages of plant growth, when you're plant, when think of this, guys, when you're out there planting your plants and you you have these little tender plants out there, 
his research has shown that a majority that uh, in the early stages, organic matter, phosphorus, potassium, and nitrogen had nothing to do with plant health in the early stages. Had nothing to do with it. Organic matter had nothing to do with it. Phosphorus had nothing to do with it. Potassium had nothing to do with it. Nitrogen had nothing to do with it. Fungal to bacteria ratios had mm. everything to do with it. Interesting. That's because the plant needs to make association with those organisms so then it can get access to the nitrogen, yeah. to the organic matter, to the phosphorus, to the potassium. Ah. They're everything, Adam. Yeah. So organic matter, that residue, that, that we're going back to that again, only 35% goes to making organic matter. The other 60% goes to CO2 in the atmosphere. Huh. We need CO2 in the atmosphere. Plants love CO2. They need CO2. We need CO2 in the atmosphere. So people are so afraid that it's a poisonous gas. We CO2, CO2. The, no, we need cows farting. We need methane. We need CO2. They're needed, but we just don't need a bunch of it. Yeah. We need to bring it down and make it into organic matter. Now, is organic matter everything? No. Yeah. Biology is everything. Soil biology. Let me give you an example. Let's keep organic matter in proper perspective. People, people go out there and they'll, I'll, 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 I think about farmers. Well, I got 6% organic matter. Well, I'm doing better. I got 8%. I'll brag about that. I said, big stinking deal. <laughs> Let me give you some perspective. We've known these bog, you know, these swamp areas and these bogs, you know, they, they build organic matter. They can have 30% organic matter in them. Wow. And nothing grows. But you just told me organic matter is everything. Yeah. It's not everything. It's water-soluble carbon. It's the quality of carbon in the system. Organic matter is 58% carbon. Think of it, the house. The house is everything. It's incredible. But I look at aggregates. I look at soil biology. Don't look at one parameter. When you go to the doctor, he looks at many parameters to determine whether you're healthy or not. Yeah. Not one. <clears throat> Be careful how you look at one parameter. Yep. That's why the doctor does a fecal. He does a blood sample. He does a urine. He does a CAT scan. He does all kinds of things because you're complex. Yeah. So it's the same way. Don't look at one parameter. Organic matter is just one parameter. So how much do you hate monocultures then? They're brutal. Yeah. That's a, that's a disturbance. That's how? a biological disturbance. So and it, in my opinion, it doesn't replicate very rarely unless something's out of whack have i found a natural native monoculture yeah is there one that i don't know about no, no, okay not that i know of but now here's the interesting thing there has done some studies in in very healthy soil ecosystems mm -hmm. the species will tend to reduce but they'll always be seven or ten or fifteen or twenty never in a natural ecosystem in a healthy ecosystem, you find just one or two species. It doesn't happen. Mm. And so if your goal is to build a healthy soil or build a healthy environment, and so you focus on the soil, it sounds like, you know, uh, 
I know it's very hard. Perennials and annuals both have their place. Yes. But perennials, do you lean more on I, – I, I'm guessing that in pastures you try to lean more on perennial base mm-hmm. with annuals incorporated. Yep. But in, in in crop country, of course, it's corn and soybeans annuals. So do you interseed other annuals? Is that a regenerative practice? Yes. And so you're trying to, you know, you're planting a one species to harvest, but you incorporate interseeding within underneath to, to right, right. continue diversity. Well, let me let me tell you what was interesting. We used to do, in NRCS, we used to do our um, seeding standards. You know, we want to go – uh, plant perennials in a range area and, tr- and try to get it the, the range grasses to, to get going. So it was a very common practice. You go disc it and kill the weeds and spray it and whatever, and then you go throw your seed. Wrong. <laughs> we did it absolutely wrong. Yeah. What we should have done is planted a multi-species annual mix mm-hmm. for a couple of years, graze it. The multi-species mixes increase the fungal populations because remember, let's think about context. All the land is degraded. A majority of all farms and ranches that I've seen are degraded. We have been farming for thousands of years, and we're really good at destroying it. Yeah. So when I go into an operation, I autom- automatically assume it's degraded unless you prove me otherwise. Yeah. I pull out the shovel, do some soil tests. I can find out if you're bacteria dominant or fungal dominant. Mm-hmm. So if you're bacteria dominant, that's a tilled system, destroyed, lots of chemicals, lots of fertilizer, too much manures, you're bacteria dominant. I don't want that. And if I want to put perennials, which like more fungi, more balance, I come in with a multi-species mix. Plant it for two years, shift the biology to more fungal, then I'm ready for my perennials. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. And then I don't have as much weeds. Weeds love bacteria-dominant soils. Weeds are nature's healers and scabs. <laughs> yeah. So if I walk into an operation and I find a lot of weeds in the, in the pasture, you're overgrazing. Yeah. If I see in your cropping system, you're doing too much tillage, too much fertilizers, too much nitrogen. You're the problem again. Yeah. Ah, that's all, that's all very, very interesting and great points. Um, speaking on monocultures... In, in a, I'm going to shift out of ag and try to bring it into our realm and where a lot of our listeners are at in recreational food plotting and gardening, small scale stuff. Right. Right. Is it possible or is it ever even a good idea to incorporate, you know, there's a trend where guys incorporate that I, I think it, I'm trying to connect between our past conversation or our past little uh, discussion about finding something that we believe is good. It's great in a system, and then we love it too much, and we plant a monoculture of it. Right. I think a lot of times people have leaned on buckwheat of like, oh, buckwheat's amazing. Yeah. And then they plant a monoculture and expect that I'm healing and I'm, I'm improving soil health. Right. Is that even uh, – is it possible to ever use a monoculture and be like, I'm headed in the right direction, or do you almost always have to lean on diversity? Look, um, let me just – back up a little bit into the let's go to the cropland okay because we have so much cropland and, and and keep in mind we have a lot of people doing a lot of great hunting in cropland and they're bringing you know because remember that a majority of our farms came from nature themselves 
they were hewn out of it, and it functions the same. All four ecosystem processes work on the farm and the prairie and the forest. And what are they? Water cycle, nutrient cycle, we capture sun, yep. and diversity. All those four ecosystem processes happen every square inch on this planet. Yeah. So come back to this monoculture question. I'd rather have a monoculture than bare soil. Absolutely. Yep. That, one of the impardonable sin is bare soil. You're not feeding microbes. You're not capturing sun. I'd rather have a monoculture of cereal rye growing out there <laughs> than nothing. Yeah. I'd totally. rather see weeds grow Absolutely. out there yeah. than see nothing. Yeah. So my whole point when I'm dealing with a crop guy who is corn and soybean, yeah. if he does wheat every winter and I can't get him out of cereal rye, I've done a great thing for the planet. Yeah, at least it's not bare ground. At least it's not bare ground. That's like the cardinal sin. That's horrible. It's wretched. Yeah. Yeah. Because now, and these grasses, one of the most powerful things I love for healing soils, Adam, is grasses. Yeah. Buckwheat's awesome. Mm -hmm. But if you can throw another two or three or four species, oh my gosh, now you're getting, now you're making nature. Do I like it versus a five or seven or ten, ten-way mix? Absolutely not. Yeah. You do not. It's kind of like mixes are very powerful. Mm-hmm. Now you're leaking different exudates. Yeah. Every plant leaks different exudates. What is an exudate? These carbon compounds. Every plant is different. Some mm-hmm. leak more. Some leak less. Some leak different combinations. I want them all. Gotcha. So... More is better in that sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. For animals, for insects, for habitat. Do you like eating hot dogs every day? (laughs) No. I do like a good hot dog. I like them too. Yeah. But But I don't want them every day. You'll get sick of it. Yeah. And I love bacon. And I tend to eat a lot of bacon here lately. It's turkey season. I'm in turkey camp. We're eating bacon. But I don't want it every day. Not every day. Yeah. When it comes to... The information about root system and overgrazing, mm-hmm. and we're going to shift or stay in the food plot realm um, and and wildlife and deer browse in particular versus cattle. With cows having the control or the ability to control when we graze and when we don't graze, mm-hmm. deer we don't have that control. So we have a food plot or let's say a two acre field that deer are in every night. And they're browsing it, and they're over-browsing, and we put up a, a cage that basically excludes them, and we see a major difference in what they can graze and what they can't graze. Right. I'm, I'm assuming, because it's the same, that that root structure of those over-grazed plants or over-browsed plants are much smaller than what they could be without the browse. Right. Obviously. Right, right. So, to me, um, and I guess this is a question that I'll ask for the viewers, is, if I'm planting um, species and uh, or a blend and I have a high deer density, though where I can't control, I can't shut the valve off on when they browse and when they don't browse, right. and I know deer will overbrowse, I need to plant species, grasses probably, that don't get browsed so I have that root structure going deep uh, and building a root mm-hmm. system versus a monoculture or a few species that the deer eat everything. Um, and I have struggling roots. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
That's brilliant because you know what you're doing is if you can find a species that they don't prefer. Yeah. And look what you're doing. You're using a biological solution. Yeah. Figuring, ah, they don't like this particular, but yet you're still feeding your microbes and you're still feeding your, 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 uh, your biology. Never forget the microbes. I think a lot of us, because we can't see them. Yeah. We can't see the fungi. We can't see the bacteria. We can't see the protozoa. We ignore them. But we focus so much on the deer. Mm-hmm. Well, studies have been done way back in the, the, you know, like in Iowa and Illinois. Why, in, back in World War II, why were kids healthier from Iowa than from any other place? Or, and why did they, don't, uh, their, their density of their bones, they were bigger? What, what was it? The soil. Mm. It's the soil. We ignore the soil so much at our peril. If you don't have healthy soil, you're not going to have a healthy insect population. You're not going to have a healthy plant population. You're not going to have a healthy deer. And nutrient-rich food that comes <coughs> from that. You, they're connected. So if if you have more nutrient-rich plants, mm-hmm. in, by scientific evidence, the animals or people that eat that should be much healthier. Absolutely. And one of the things we leave out, Adam, and I think, and I was, and, I, and you know, because I have ADHD too, <laughs> is that we forget photonutrients, not just zinc and minerals, nutrients. Yeah. Those are important. We forget the mo- just as important as the photonutrients. What do I mean by photonutrients? It's those nutrients that still have the carbon molecules attached to them. Gotcha. Those photonutrients are incredibly important. Let me give you an example. There was a uh, one of the brilliant Liebig was a was a brilliant scientist, a chemist. Yeah, he thought, well, back in the early turn of the century, that he could create a baby formula mm-hmm. by just putting these elements together, nutrients, zincs, and all these other, and just yeah. and make these incredible baby formula when they did that the babies actually did worse because it was all about nutrients yep the mineral nutrients yeah it was wrong it was about the mom's milk the mom's milk has these biologically created molecules that come can only come from mom Mm. and that's why the health went down we forgot the molecules the carbon-based molecules. We're carbon-made. Don't ever forget the biological nutrients. That's what we're talking about. Gotcha. Don't look just like at regular uh, phosphorus, zinc, and all those. Those are great. It's the biological molecules that are yeah. just as important. So you don't just, because your soil test says that you're lacking all this, just go buy it and dump it out on the ground hey. and broadcast it and say, okay, there it is. You got it now. Exactly. That's why I'll see my... Uh, why do I see my sheep grazing the cedars? <laughs> why are they doing that? Why are they browsing on the cedars? Really? Yeah. They'll browse here. They'll browse there. They'll browse here. So what are they, why are they doing? They're yeah. picking those photonutrients. Mm. Some of those photonutrients help for parasites. Yeah. They know. Yeah. They have this sense. The deer are the same. Yep. But if your deer, if your if your farm looks like the, like the, uh, if it looks like a golf course, 
and there's only two or three species, what do you think they're going to get? Yeah, not, not nearly as much as they would get with a... Well, here's my point. Don't just focus on the food plot. Yeah. You should be focusing the management on the whole darn farm. Yeah. Your whole farm is a food plot. Yeah. So that's a great point because we talk about that so much in, in managing and prioritizing and making the biggest difference possible. And so many guys, less than 5% of their farm is a food plot. So let's take your six principles of soil health, mm-hmm. apply that to, that would apply, That's that's doesn't matter the acreage. Anywhere in the world, basically, that's land, if you're trying to improve soil health, those six principles are true. So if you go to the forest and all you have is very dense trees, but there's no forbs, there's no grasses, there's no sedges, there's no understory growth, there's probably not as healthy of soil as you would get if you had the diversity of all the plants. Yep. You're exactly right. So we've got to keep this in mind, Adam. Our forests are not managed properly. 100%. And they hear that each and every week probably is most of our forests are overstocked, they're unhealthy, and they're not diverse. Or they're just not managed. Not managed. Uh, Managed by um, negligence. Yeah. And so here's the thing. That's why I'm striving to start some thinning so I can create savannas. There you go. I want my sheep in there. I want my cattle in there. Yeah. And savannas are, uh, there was savannas was a very common thing. Mm-hmm. But we have some foresters like, oh my God, you're, you're creating a savanna? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah. I said, what? And I look at them, I go, what planet are you from? Yeah. Savannas were a very common thing. Yeah. Savannas were all over Missouri, all the way to North Carolina. Yeah. Buffalo went all the way to North Carolina. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Diversity. Diversity. There's, there shouldn't have been an acreage. Because even here in, in the mountains part, the, the Wachita's, the Ozarks, we had bison herds. But they could have been much smaller. A lot of evidence points that they were woodland-type bison. Mm-hmm. Smaller groups hung around in the woods, on the glades, these savannas. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I just picture a huge, occasionally a huge herd would move through. But we still had remnants that hung around, and there was, basically my point is, there wasn't an acre ungrazed. That's right. At some point in the course of a year or two years, it got grazed. I think one of the things we can leave the audience with, Adam, is one of the biggest problems we've had is ignorance. Yeah. And and, and, and keep in mind, I went to biological, uh, you know, I took a lot of science classes. In fact, before you and I even finished, uh, before we even started this podcast, you and I had a discussion about the science community. Yeah. And how is it to be in the science community? Well, people need to understand that where we learned our educational systems, they were more Greco-Roman type of systems, very linearity, reductionism. Reduction means we study things down to the little to the little tiny molecule because the complexity of it. But they forgot the blessings of the Eastern cultures. Like the Bible was from an Eastern culture. They saw things as holes and patterns. Holistic. Holistic, not a hippie word. Holistic is don't focus just on the deer. Don't forget the microbes. That's (laughs) a holistic thought process. Yeah. Take it from the bottom all the way to the top. Yep. Whole 
Look at the big picture. Yep. Back up. See how everything's connected. That's ecology. That's why, you know, biomimicry is in the Bible. Job 12. Watch the trees, the shrubs. They're telling you something. The natural system was created that way to follow the patterns of that. And we don't do that. We're not good observers. So one of the best things your people can do in this podcast, start being an observer. Yeah. Pick every book you can on soil ecology or agroecology. Be a reader. Yep. If you don't listen, if you're not a good reader, listen. There's go plenty of audio books. <laughs> go, to, go to YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Go to YouTube and start picking up these concepts of ecology. Yeah. And and then you start changing your, you'll change your farm and your ranch incredibly. Yeah. I noticed just in clients that we've gotten uh, and worked with that hire us because they want to have healthier deer, bigger deer, and they want to shoot bigger bucks. And through the process of educating them on the ecology and the, and the natural landscape and the d- importance of diversity, two years later, that same client is all excited because we saw a scarlet tanager. And he's like, look at the, look at the scarlet tanager. And it's like, I laugh and I look at him and said, you realize you're pointing out a little, uh, a bird now and you hired me to talk about deer. And he goes, I don't know what you did to me. And, uh, and I think that's what I enjoy seeing. And I'm sure you do too, is when a farmer gets it and he starts getting excited about the little things. Think about this, Adam. I have farms now. They actually see earthworms. Yeah. Wrap your mind around that. Um, It is a majority of farms. There's hardly any earthworms. And and they are the upper part of the soil food web. Mm. And there's no earthworms. There's no living biology, no no little insects. If you pull out a little, uh, uh, not a microscope, but one of those eyepieces and you can look on the top of the soil, you should see a myriad of organisms on top. Mm. And they don't because it looks like the moon. Yeah. And that's where we're at. Wow. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you can do something about it. I know you're doing something about it. Tell our listeners how to follow your work, follow along. I know I didn't even mention it. I have it in my notes. I kind of I wrote out two pages of notes and knew I'd do this. I didn't hardly look at them. Uh, um, but we covered pretty much everything. But Kiss the Ground, kiss you're the, in that. Yep. That's uh, on Netflix. Yeah, I I think that the, the audience should see the movie Kiss the Ground. It's a, a documentary that came out. It's on Netflix, and it talks about the current agriculture system. And I think it was very, very well done because it brought awareness. Some people have mixed feelings about it because they'll say, well, it's it's kind of hard on the farmer because they use tillage and chemicals. I said it had nothing to do with that. It's uh, had everything to do with all of our massive ignorance. We created a construct, yeah, a matrix of agriculture that is very destructive to the land. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is shift it. All of us did that as a collective. When we went to college, they taught us get bigger, get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. Keep in mind, there's less than 1% of the people feeding 99% of the world, a country. So it's it's not against the farmer. It's against us as a collective, as a society. Mm. So the, the, the movie was great awareness, I thought. And it gave glory to the animals and it gives hope. Yeah. We can heal the planet. So I definitely recommend it. There's another documentary coming out that we just got funded. It's going to be a follow-up on that first, and it's going to be a sequel. It's called Common Ground. 
It'll be out in two years. And that was going to be the journey of the farmer and rancher, how they started healing their land and how they no longer use all these chemicals and they're bringing their kids and their operation because all they're doing is mimicking nature now. It's exciting. That is. And so I encourage people to watch it and um, and to look at it from a, an awareness that agriculture, I don't think people realize the majority of our planet was destroyed because of our agriculture. It's easy to blame the car and the and the and and those the other things. Yes, they cause problems, but agriculture impacts a largest part of the surface area of the planet. Mm. Grazing and cropping. Yeah. How are are you on social media? I am on Facebook. I, I do have a Facebook account. Or your uh, uh, your business? Yeah, our business is SoilHealthAcademy.org. Yeah. You'll find our schools there. We do three days. We do a three-day school. I definitely recommend it. I tell people, what's the best thing I can do in my operation? Go to a school. Yeah. <laughs> Go to a grazing school. People will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for a piece of equipment, but they won't go through a three-day school. Yeah, I just have, I just cannot wrap my mind around it. <laughs> they'll and and they'll go. What I like about our schools, we have the ranchers, and all of them went to college, and all of them have suffered, and all of them have we made a lot of mistakes. What we teach you is to get away from those mistakes and learn how to be a better observer and how to mimic nature yeah. and how to reduce your input costs. Soil Health Academy and then Understanding Ag on how we can walk you through some of these steps. So we do a lot of consulting. We're consulting on 15 to 20 million acres now. Wow. Some of the biggest. We're working with General how Mills. How many countries? Oh, uh, Mexico, Canada, uh, uh, Australia, and That's so and throughout the, every, and a lot of the states. And so we're on the Turner Ranch. We are on some huge ranches. So we're out there uh, and helping people emulate the natural system. So how? Education. Very The cool. right goal. Yeah. Ray, thank you so much. You're welcome, Adam. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Appreciate you.